0: Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Crimopedia. I'm your host, Allison, and today I'm going to be telling you about a 21-year-old man by the name of Joe Grozel, who went missing in 2003 under very strange circumstances and was found deceased 22 days later. When I was first suggested to cover this case, I knew that Joe's name sounded familiar to me, but once I dove deeper into his story, I recognized it instantly. Officer Cadet Joe Grozel died when I was only four years old, but now that I'm 22 and close to him in age at the time of his death, this story really resonates with me. Like myself, Joe was a university student in his third year and unfortunately lost his life in a very untimely way with his entire future ahead of him. Before I begin, I just wanted to remind you all to follow my Instagram at crimopediapod and you can reach me there as well as on my website at crimopediapod.ca. I've been receiving a lot of feedback lately and it's really great to hear from everybody and I'm looking forward to hearing about what you all think of today's episode. So with that, let's jump right in. Officer Cadet Joe Grozel was born in Ridgetown in the province of Ontario in Canada to parents Ron and Minnie Grozel on September 11, of 1982. In 2003, Joe was a third-year university student studying business administration at the Royal Military College, or as some people call it RMC, in Kingston, Ontario, an approximate five- to six-hour drive from his home in Ridgetown. I have personally done this drive before, and it seems like much longer than five or six hours, but it didn't matter to Joe because RMC is one of only two national university degree awarding military institutions in Canada. Students are required to complete basic training in the province of Quebec, as well as their undergraduate degree and serve in the military afterwards with great benefits. So if this sounds like something you're interested in, your options for schools are limited and Joe being only five or six hours away from the school actually wasn't that bad considering how large the country of Canada really is. While Joe was studying at RMC, he was known to be a relatively good student. People described him as relaxed, easygoing, and it was well known that he would get along with others well. Joe Grozel also had a girlfriend, Officer Cadet Melissa Haggard from Ottawa, Ontario, who at the time of Joe's disappearance had been dating him for almost two years. Melissa was a varsity soccer player at RMC and one of the strongest on the women's team, which was something her and Joe bonded a lot over because Joe was also a varsity basketball player, a division of athletics no longer a part of varsity life at RMC, but at the time he would travel for away games with the team and compete against universities that I'm personally familiar with. The couple lived relatively normal military student lives. They were busy with academics, athletics, and each other. On the weekend of October 18th and 19th in 2003, Joe Grozell was away with the RMC varsity basketball team in Halifax along the east coast of Canada in the province of Nova Scotia. The team returned to campus in Kingston on the 19th in the mid-afternoon, and after an exhaustive weekend, it was business as usual for Joe at RMC. He was seen walking around campus on the 20th and attended all of his classes for that day, but then he was also seen on campus on the 21st, but he was skipping all of his classes that day. Now, before I get too deep into this, something you'll notice about this case as we go along is that there are several looming unanswered questions, and I certainly have a fair share of them myself. I think it's a good time to bring up the first question I have right away. Was it normal for Joe to be skipping classes when something was going on? Was something going on? If so, what are the circumstances that would make Joe want to skip classes? When you're a varsity athlete at a military college, it seems like a lot is riding on your performance in school. If you start flunking out, skipping classes, you're going to lose out on a lot of opportunities. So why would he skip? There must have been some great incentive to do so. Interestingly enough, however, on October 21st, 2003, the day he was skipping classes, Joe Grozel did in fact show up for basketball practice, although he didn't go to anything else that day. So it begs the question, was something wrong? Did something happen during the day? On the night of the 21st, Joe and his girlfriend Melissa Haggard turned in for the night in Joe's room at the LaSalle dorm in room 2009 where Joe lived. The couple spent most of that night together. Melissa told media outlets after the fact that the two made plans for that upcoming Friday to go out to dinner and catch a movie after Joe's basketball game. Eventually, at some point that night, Melissa fell asleep on Joe's bed while he was up at his desk doing a military law assignment on his computer. According to Melissa Haggard, this was a very normal night for the couple. However, all was not normal when Officer Cadet Melissa Haggard woke up in her boyfriend Joe's bed alone around 5.30am on October 22nd. When she went to sleep that night, Joe was still working on his assignment. When she woke up, however, he was nowhere to be found. This was odd, but it was also the age before cell phones, so it's unclear, at least to me, even how I would've handled this situation. It's quite possible that I would've done exactly what Melissa did. She returned to her own dorm for approximately 6 a.m. and then proceeded to get ready for the day, checking in on Joe's room periodically until attending breakfast with some of her friends at the mess hall around 8 a.m., Melissa reportedly knew something was wrong with the situation but couldn't quite put her finger on it, so she did what she knew how to do. She searched for Joe in common areas with her friends, waited for him at breakfast, returned to his room throughout the morning, and when there was no sign of her boyfriend going on two years anywhere on campus, she decided to take the issue to her superior. I can't imagine how Melissa must've been feeling in this situation. She falls asleep in her boyfriend's bed, thinking all is well and making plans with him for later in the week. And then in the morning, she wakes up alone with Joe nowhere to be found. Now, like I mentioned before, Melissa went to check common areas to see if Joe could've been there. The couple would usually leave each other notes or clues as to where they were going during the day with their incredibly busy student athlete military schedules, because again, this was the age before cell phones. This was all going down in 2003. A good example of this is that if Melissa saw that Joe wasn't in his room, but his sneakers were gone, then she knew he was likely at the gym. But again, after a full day of searching for Joe around campus and finding none of these clues or notes that she was used to from him, at approximately 4.30 p.m. on Wednesday, October 22nd of 2003, she decided to leave a note on the office door of CSTO Officer Cadet Fortin Grodnan stating that Joe was gone. If you're at all familiar with the military service in Canada, and it's likely the same elsewhere, but I can't speak on anywhere else, then you know that going missing from a military base is a really big deal. Being considered AWOL or absent without official leave or being considered a deserter are not good classifications to fall under. Attempting to desert the military service can be prosecuted as a military crime. Now, I know that in certain places, the military won't actively search for deserters, and sometimes they will. For example, this discrepancy was seen in the case of Vanessa Guillen, who went missing from Fort Hood in Texas, United States. And I'm gonna be completely honest, I don't know if Joe was given any sort of formal designation when it was discovered that he was missing. I don't know if he was immediately classified as AWOL or assumed to be a deserter. But nonetheless, a full-fledged missing persons investigation was launched because, again, going missing from a military base here in Canada is a really big deal. The Kingston City Police were also contacted to engage in assisting the military officials in the search, and on the next day, the 23rd of October in 2003, the Department of National Defense National Investigative Service, the NIS, was called in to lead the search. Over the coming three weeks, the NIS combed to the military base, they searched the campus grounds, Joe's room, they went to hospitals and shelters, they conducted numerous interviews, they flagged his bank cards and searched his computer. I think at this time, police were hopeful that Joe's computer would give a hint to his whereabouts considering, according to officer cadet Melissa Haggard, who was the last person to see Joe alive, his last moments were on that computer. At the very least, it was hopeful that looking at his computer activity data could begin to build the timeline of the case, which thankfully is exactly what happened. Analysis of the activity on Joe Grozel's computer showed that someone was working on a military law assignment until approximately 1.30 in the morning. This was a great starting point for police, but however useful this information was, it was still limited. Upon searching through Joe's RMC dorm, there were no signs of foul play and no signs that any sort of altercation took place. And so, aside from the computer data, all police were left to work with at this point was anything they could get out of commanding air, water, and ground searches to try and salvage out any physical clues that he could have left behind on his way out from campus that night. However, police would turn up much more than just a few pieces of physical evidence from these searches. 22 days after Joe Grozel officially disappeared, after thousands of man-hours and countless search efforts, on November 13th of 2003, Joe Grozel's remains were discovered floating in the Cataraqui River headed towards the HMCS Cataraqui Naval Building just northwest of RMC's campus. Joe's body was recovered by the NIS and Kingston police, and Joe's father, Ron Grozel, was able to positively identify his son as being the individual found floating deceased in the river only a short walk from campus. At this point, the mystery behind Joe Grozel's whereabouts had been solved. He was located, unfortunately not in the circumstances anyone was hoping for. But again, more questions arise. How the hell did he get here? Did Joe get into the river on his own accord or was he placed in there? Why did it take 22 days to find him when his body was found so close to RMC's campus? To give you a sense of just how close Joe was found to campus, when you use the directions function in Google Maps and type in RMC as your starting location and the Cataraqui River as your ending location, the drive is no more than six minutes. With all of the intense manpower going into the search for Joe Grozel, how on earth could police have missed him if he was floating around in the river only a maximum of six minutes away from where he went missing? Even more puzzling, the initial autopsy conducted by Dr. Hurlbut at Kingston General Hospital concluded nothing. It was determined that nothing could be determined from Joe Grozell's initial autopsy and that in order to understand the cause and manner of death, more testing would have to be done. The scope of that testing that had to be done, I am totally unclear about. Once you dive a little deeper into Joe's autopsy, you can kind of understand why it was so hard to come to any conclusions. The conditions of Joe's body were pretty difficult to interpret at first. During the beginning stages of my research, I saw reports that indicated Joe's state of decomposition at the time he was found indicated that he might not have been deceased all 22 days he was missing, which is really interesting and suggests that maybe someone had been keeping him alive. However, the official Royal Canadian Mounted Police, or RCMP, report that will be linked on my website at crimopediapod.ca says otherwise. According to the RCMP, Joe's state of decomposition at the time he was found made perfect sense for someone who went missing 22 days prior and had been dead since. And this next piece of evidence might corroborate that, because Joe was also found with what appeared to be a full meal in his stomach that may or may not have come from the mess hall at RMC. From my best guess, it looks like it could be carrots and rice maybe from the photos I found online but it's hard to say where this came from. Did Joe leave his dorm voluntarily at 1.30 in the morning to get a late night snack and encounter foul play? Did he happen to eat something in his dorm before being removed from the area by force? I personally couldn't find any information on whether the university was ever able to confirm or deny that the contents of Joe's stomach corresponded to what was served in the dining hall that night. So at this point, anyone's guess is as good as mine regarding where this food came from and how long before death it was consumed. Although, later reports would say it must have been consumed at least an hour or two before he died, but we'll get to that. What we do know, however, is that the RMC Mess Hall dining area closed at 7.30pm on the night of October 21st. So if Joe Grozell was hypothetically alive until 1.30am, it's likely that there would have been more evidence of digestion occurring if that happened to be the last meal that he ate. This is critical because it points to Joe either going missing directly from his dorm or maybe from somewhere else. Maybe he did leave his dorm to go get food. It's hard to say. What's more confusing, however, and really the central question that would unlock all the answers to this case, is how the hell Joe Crozel got into the Kataraqui River in the first place. Was he meeting someone? Was he forcibly removed from his room or from campus? Interestingly, missing from Joe's room were the clothes he was seen in earlier that day he went missing. And this is interesting to me because Joe, like really anyone else, as soon as he would get home would change into casual wear. But on this day, he did not. As well, three shirts and an additional belt were missing from his room and never found. When Joe's body was discovered, his shoes were still on but they were untied, his pants were distressed and he was shirtless. Why would Joe Grozel stay up until 1.30 in the morning working on an assignment in his dorm room in formal wear? Did this indicate that he was intending to leave the dorm once Melissa Haggard fell asleep? What happened to the shirt on his back when he left? I mean, I can understand distressed pants. Maybe they could have gotten tussled up on branches or something else floating in the Cataracty River. But the total removal of a shirt seems a bit intentional. However, Lieutenant Navy Ryan Snow of the NIS stated that missing clothes aren't really considered key pieces of evidence from a crime scene, and really, there's no concrete evidence to suggest that Joe was even wearing a shirt to begin with when he left his dorm. Just because it was missing from his dorm doesn't mean it was on his back the whole time. But realistically, Joe Grozel disappeared near the end of October in Canada, where temperatures are at times only a few degrees above freezing. It seems completely unlikely to me that anyone of sound mind would leave the house in these conditions without a t-shirt, at least. But again, the assumption that Joe Grozel was of sound mind the night he went missing is just an assumption because we know so little about what happened the night he went missing. Maybe he was suffering from some sort of mental break and took his t-shirt off before leaving his dorm at 1.30 in the morning in October, I don't know. And nobody does. As well, Joe was found in the Kataraqui River with bruises on his nose and lip, as well as a broken tooth and some blood residue on the articles of clothing that he was wearing. Are these superficial facial injuries a byproduct of however he entered the river, by choice or by force, or were they inflicted on him during a struggle? Did that struggle take place at the same location he entered the river or somewhere on campus? Was there even a struggle to begin with? And if so, who would want to fight Joe Grozel at 1.30 in the morning? Was it a personal thing or was it just him running into someone malicious by chance? In February of 2004, the Office of the Chief Coroner requested that the OPP, or the Ontario Provincial Police Criminal Investigation Branch take over the investigation into Joe Grozel's death. On November 25th of that year, they decided to exhume his body and take a second look, ideally to try and use the physical evidence left over to come up with any sort of conclusion about how he died. Mind you, when this investigation turnover was made in November of 2004, it had already been over a year since Joe Grozel was found, and still there was no answers. A second autopsy was conducted by Dr. Michael Polanin, chief pathologist for the office of the coroner, and again, the forensic evidence was unfortunately inconclusive. After an entire year of investigative efforts, the Military Board of Inquiry, or the BOI, asserted that the cause of death for Officer Cadet Joe Grozell was quote-unquote unascertained, and they stated that the forensic evidence was consistent with hypothermia but nothing was conclusive. All in all, there were only a few pieces of new information coming out of these 2004 inquiries. According to the BOI, regardless of how Joe died, he was either dead or unconscious prior to entering the Cataraqui River, and that any water that had entered his body must have happened after death. As well, it was concluded that Joe likely entered the Cataraqui River at an entry point just north of the LaSalle Causeway, a highway that directly bridges the downtown core of Kingston, Ontario and the RMC campus. One component of this case that I was very curious about until I found out more information was the part that Melissa Haggard, Joe's girlfriend, played in all of this. Up until now, I haven't talked about her too much other than the part she played in reporting Joe missing, but if you're anything like me, there was a little voice in the back of your head screaming that she needs to be investigated after you heard me tell you that she was the last person to see Joe Roselle alive. During the beginning phases of my research into this case, I couldn't find much information on her, but thanks to a comprehensive website organized by, I think, Joe Grosell's family called VeritasForJoe.com, which I will link on my website and Instagram, I was able to find out a lot of the information I was looking for. Due to the circumstances of his disappearance, Melissa was understandably the first person to be looked at for information regarding Joe's whereabouts. But on December 3rd of 2003, Melissa Haggard passed a polygraph test and was effectively cleared from any involvement. Melissa, after a long period of silence and grieving, spoke candidly with news outlets about her thoughts on the case, actually. Many people speculate that Joe might have committed suicide, with some sources stating that in the last month or so before his disappearance, Joe was acting strange. But in an interview, Melissa Haggard alluded to the fact that Joe may have actually been afraid of water. So why would he choose to commit suicide that way of always? The NIS compiled all of the information they could find regarding this apparently strange behavior, and they proposed it to the pathologists involved in attempting to determine Joe's cause and manner of death. From an objective point of view, I'm going to relay these points to you, but I personally take them with a grain of salt, because as a university student myself, I'd be damned if i turned up deceased and somebody decided to bring up how much I complain about school as a valid argument for it being a suicide. However, I think it's important information to mention in order to get a well-rounded view of what might have happened to Joe and what he was going through leading up to his disappearance and death. The NIS compiled information from sources that stated Joe was becoming uninterested in basketball. If you recall, Joe was a varsity player and basketball was an integral part of his life. Joe had apparently also been making comments about becoming sick of military life. According to one friend, he had seemed depressed the previous summer, but apparently did not show any concrete signs or give any inclination that he was going to leave the university or quit. Joe was also apparently complaining more than usual and had chosen not to go to CISM basketball that previous August of 2003. CISM is the International Military Sports Organization, and they host World Games during the winter and summer, sort of like the Olympics, but just for the military. This is a really big deal for varsity athletes, but apparently Joe just didn't seem interested in going. According to Melissa Haggard, however, she completely refutes all of this. She didn't notice anything different about Joe around this time. Just because a tired, overworked university student is complaining about life and deciding to opt out of extracurricular activities, does that make them suicidal? That's a question that Melissa and the Grozel family want to pose, but again, many people think otherwise. And I think it's easy to write this case off as a suicide. So much of the evidence doesn't fit together, and it's the most parsimonious explanation. But that doesn't mean it's the right one, and that doesn't mean that each piece of evidence fits that storyline. Why on earth would Joe Grozel leave his dorm at 1.30 in the morning after working on an assignment all night? Was it by choice? If so, why didn't he leave a note for Melissa like they always did? If it wasn't by choice, how did someone manage to coerce Joe out of his room without waking Melissa, let alone even gain access to the dorm in the first place? And this is an important consideration, too, because Melissa Haggard explicitly stated in an interview that the chances of it being student-on-student violence is very, very low, and she alluded to the fact that this was due simply to the security of the facilities. So, if it was an outsider, what did anyone have against Joe Grozel? someone who was known to be kind, overall pretty wholesome, and was well-liked by his community. Lastly, the Grozel family highlights that Joe actually made an appointment to discuss something with a professor of his on the day he disappeared. Why on earth would someone do that if they were intending on committing suicide that night? Even more so, why would he stay up until 1.30 in the morning working on a law assignment if he knew he was going to leave his dorm room and commit suicide? These questions don't even scratch the surface. Let me remind you, we don't have a conclusive cause or manner of death for Joe Grozell, and we just passed the 18-year anniversary of his disappearance on October 22nd of 2021. Joe Grozell was a bright, young student athlete in the military at the time of his death. He had his entire life ahead of him, one that he was hoping to spend with his girlfriend, his friends, and his family. As of February 2020, the Grozell family has met with the chief coroner, Dirk Huyer, to discuss details in the case and hopefully shine a new light on the suspicious death of their beloved son. And the family is confident that somebody knows something about what happened to Joe. And the list of unanswered questions in this case is honestly miles long. So, if you know anything, you can contact the Kingston Police at 613 549 4600, or you can email admin at This email I will be sure to put on my Instagram because this is how you can directly contact the Grozel family who's been compiling information since Joe went missing. And again, they are confident that somebody knows something. Thank you for listening to yet another episode of Crimopedia, and be sure to check out my Instagram at CrimopediaPod for photos in this case because there are plenty. I hope you're all doing well. Stay safe, everybody, and I will talk to you next time.